Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me today on a very special Over the Ball. Uh, remember when they used to say that in those uh, like kind of shitty cookie-cutter sitcoms like Full House or something? Tonight on a very special Full House. Ten years of that show, there was never a very special episode. But today on Over the Ball, it's different. It is special because, as you know, we told you last week, Grail Hallett, uh, our onboard media specialist, has moved on to bigger and better pastors. He, uh, he got a job, a bigger job, I guess, so... Uh, which is not easy, hard to do, really. Uh, one with a dental plan and a 401k, I'm sure. But uh, Gray will be back on future episodes to join us, uh, Sam and myself, Sam, our over-the-ball producer, uh, to report back on various TV deals uh, that are being made. Uh, as you know, uh, recently, the last couple of years, you need like one of those old Ovaltine decoder rings to figure out what channel uh, to watch games on, uh, especially when you're trying to track down the U.S. men's national team. So uh, as we conduct our nationwide search for replacement for the Grail Hallett, he's really not replaceable. Uh, we'll be joined today by one of my old comedy buddies, a man who lost in the finals of America's Got Talent to a pack of dogs, no less. I can't mess with dogs, dude. Comedian Tom Cotter, welcome to uh, Over the Ball today. How are you, pal? I'm honored to be here. Thank you very much. And thanks for reminding me that I lost to a dog act. I appreciate that. You lost to a couple of dogs, so they must have split the votes, I would imagine. Yeah. 23. Uh, so it's 23 it's kind, dogs. Kind of like rack voting, I would imagine. Yeah. And, you, and you don't know shit all about soccer, but that's good because a lot of people are just getting familiar with this game that we uh, know and love in this country. Um, I think you used to wrestle uh, young boys when you were in high school because uh, you're on the wrestling team you weren't allowed to wrestle girls back then so yes it was boys and they wouldn't let you that was the other part but yeah. uh so a lot of news to cover today uh kind of a somber day guys i do still want to say this we hit the one-year anniversary uh of the uh the trump supporters storming the capitol in an insurrection uh, to overthrow uh the election in the united states something i never dreamed was possible in this country but that's uh, the reality that's the fact so on today on over the ball everybody is covering this thing so we will not what we will do is uh is talk about uh, soccer in a sort of bold counter-programming move. Um, and as we say, as always on Over the Ball, we come at you um, from an American perspective, which is uh, rare and seems like it's getting rarer, my God, in the world. So what better way to look uh, back on the year that was and what lies ahead uh, in the world of soccer than having today's guest on. He's the executive editor of Soccer America, and he is hopefully here, I would say, I'm hoping to paint a better picture of uh, what lies ahead uh, in the game in this country. Things, some really good, some good, uh, good signs, things that are happening. Our national team is doing better, uh, new deals, new teams, new everything. Uh, so welcome back to Over the Ball, Mike Wartola. How are you, pal? I'm doing fine. That's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Yeah, hey, you know, Mike, I mentioned uh, we, we have this running joke. We have a um, uh, a sponsor on this show, not just Soccer America, but uh, fundraisingforyou.net, a uh, guy named Ted Priestley. Um, he sponsors Sam each week, in um, each month, I mean, for a Paramount Plus subscription because uh sam couldn't figure out well sam didn't get the didn't get paramount plus and he had you didn't a, give you didn't give sam your password <laughs> didn't give sam my password so but i tell you what uh you know i talked about it right, right at the top here but you know soccer america we go to for all the articles and how you guys cover it we're going to talk about that in just a bit but one of the most useful things 
uh, for, for me is I look at the TV listings that you guys have on there and just how difficult is it to track down where all these various leagues are playing in multiple languages and multiple platforms, multiple channels. Uh, do you have like a full-time person on that or what? Yeah, we've it's a, it's a collaboration. We don't have just one, it, 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 we, you know, it's a really, it's really tough because a lot of the, the decisions are made uh, late. Yeah. Um, the, the networks won't announce them. They'll, they'll, they'll decide what games to play when sometimes based on, you know, the previous week's results and stuff like that. Also the TV networks aren't that good about <clears throat> presenting the information we all need. That's one reason why our service is appreciated. I, you know, you know how, when you go on a restaurant website and they give you the address, Right. It happens all the time. drives you crazy. It happened. That's kind of similar with the uh, TV network websites. Like it's hard to find the schedule. So we, we do that service for you. And it's been popular for a long time. And, you know, we present it in a pretty simple way. But I think that's kind of the easiest way to to keep track of it. We, you know, we do it by day, by network and, um, you know, obviously the times. And, um, and it's hard. It's, a, it's hard. Yeah. It looks like a bear to do. And, uh, you know, it looks like it, Grail had talked about this before he had left about the Fox deal. They seem to be consolidating a lot of the um, leagues and um, and the national team, I think. Uh, but and been one thing that, you know, my old employer, ESPN, I guess they've had a lot of criticism of late because of how they have covered the games. Um where they had a football game on that ran into it. Then they switched the channel that you were supposed to watch. Then you had to go back to the other one. It reminded me of those old NASL days where they would just, there would be the kickoff. That's all you'd see. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, in the old NASL days, they, they would uh, supposedly sometimes tell the ref, he had to tell a player to stay down a little longer so they could do a commercial. You know, it was 1994 when the world cup was here that uh, television changed in the United States and soccer was the kind of the first thing besides public television that brought uh, TV without commercial interruptions. You know, that was before that they would actually interrupt soccer games for commercials. Um, the, uh, you know, have, at least now when they have a football game on, when you're supposed to watch a soccer game, they can give you another option. I ended up watching right. Spanish language that day. You know, I did, I didn't mind that. Uh, yeah. It, it also okay. shows you why soccer is such a uh, popular sport and why it's such a attractive sport is that soccer has a set time limit. You know when it's going to start, you know the halftime, you know, you know, it's going to be over. You get 90 minutes plus 15 minutes, whatever, halftime. When you got football games and basketball games and baseball games, you just never know when they're going to end and they go, you know, they can go on and on and on. And if that's before a soccer game, you know, you can be in trouble. And it's hilarious because sometimes it's like two schools playing football I never even heard of. Right. <laughs> Right. But everybody gets a platform now these days. But what I find interesting is over the years, uh, and Sam is too young to remember this, but the things that they used to say about soccer that were bad, saying there's no place for commercials, there's, these, these are, have all turned into good things. Where yeah. you're talking about, talking about baseball, they're trying to figure out how to shorten the game, how to make it uh, you know, move along faster. Um, you have nothing but commercial breaks there. American football, boy, the, the couple times that I've DVR'd a football game and then watched it back, it's amazing how little action there is. Uh, you have a it's play. It's about seven minutes. <clears throat> I've Total, it. right. Yeah, if you time the if you time the play from the snap to the down throughout the entire three and a half hours, you're going to get about seven minutes of action. Um, and I'm not, you know, I actually, you know, I, I watch football. I, I like oh, the I game. do too. I love it, yeah. 
I, I obviously have issues with the NFL as everyone should, but um, with the concussion handling and this and that, but um, the, you know, the, the length of time it takes is just, is just crazy. And then the interruptions. So nowadays, I think everybody I know waits about half an hour before the, after the game starts and then zips through the uh, timeouts and the commercials. All the opening bullshit. Yeah. So, so Mike, I, I, I just want to jump in. First of all, it's fundraise for you, not fundraising for you. So let's, let's give them right. the correct plug. For the <laughs> yeah, I know. You don't want your Paramount plus that I'm actually uh, not getting. But um, Mike, I, I wonder. Wait, no, think- I gotta say that's not that's not that's my fault because Ted's uh, Ted's in there. He wants to. He's his sponsor, so yeah. we'll let right. it build up in the account. Just make sure you get your Paramount Plus account. All right. Well, Mike, I'm just curious. Do you, do you think the fact that to find the U.S. national team, and we can bring in Tom here because you know if I want to watch an NFL game, I even, I haven't watched an NFL game in five years probably, but I still know it's on Fox and CBS, and if I go there, it'll be there. With soccer right now, it used to be you know you go to ABC or ESPN to watch a national team game. Now I you know I have no idea, and I mean I guess that can be good because it's more spread out and it's maybe getting to more viewers. But is there also a downside to that? I don't think so for like the younger generation because I don't think. I think the younger generation just kind of asks its television, asks the television, the tablet or the phone. <laughs> I want to watch the men's national team game and it pops up on something. I mean, there's so many different streaming things. You know, at the end of the year, I kind of doing that like budget stuff. Where's our money going? We subscribe to every damn possible TV thing there is yeah. because something will pop up. All of a sudden, I had to get Paramount Plus because they were showing soccer. Um, I bundled my ESPN with the Disney because someone wanted to watch Hamilton and now I'm stuck with that forever. And then, you know, <laughs> and then, and then it's Friday night and, yeah. and we're, and we decide to watch a movie and then we end up paying for it because we can't find it on like the eight streaming things that we have. Right. So to answer your question, I, I guess that ship has sailed and you know, it's a new world. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit it's like going world. to Ikea, I think. It doesn't feel like anything costs a lot, but when you get to the checkout, you owe five thousand dollars and before cinnamon buns. That's Great a, analogy. I like it. And that's where you go for the for the meatballs, anyway. So my mm-hmm. my thing is, uh, you know, Mike and I'm, I I pound the drum on this one is the it changes what network has it, but also the talent for a while was not generally foreign, still English and uh, Hispanics Hispanic first language speakers. Uh, are covering it now in this country. Um, and then they had the thing where, you know, you knew Pat Summerall and Brent Musburger were going to be there every week with soccer. It was sort of weird, you know, even when like Alexi used to be on air, then he was a GM again, then he was back on air and then, uh, you know, Stu Holden and he got, so it's sort of like they would go from network to network and, and not really be there full time. Uh, Taylor Twelman, I guess, is full time at ESPN, and he hasn't jumped to other networks. But um, yeah, I thought it was confusing. We haven't really established, you know, Bob Lee's gone. Uh, um, we haven't really established a, a solid uh, broadcasting team, or do you think we have? Yeah, I, you know, sometimes I lose track of who's on which network, um, and I gotta say that, um, you know, I sometimes I tune out on purpose because. When I'm watching the game where they're talking over the action, I can't stand it. You know, right. and there's some guys out there that play by play guys that do a much better job. Um, it's gotten a little bit better than it used to be. To me, that's like the biggest uh, 
issue in soccer broadcasting is just babbling instead of doing play-by-play. Yeah, and it seems like it's a throwback, a throwover to maybe baseball where you talk the whole time. Uh, but yeah, when and especially like you start a story and then they're in the attacking third of the field and it's like, shut up, I'm watching the game. Yeah. Really, I, I want to, you know, you got to time your facts and stuff. So the other side so, of that though, is you can have a big personality. We just lost John Madden in the NFL and he was so, yeah, people tuned in just to hear him. They couldn't care about football, but they loved him so much. He was such a big personality that they loved him. And I wonder if soccer can get uh, a guy like that who was so captivating and uh, doesn't talk over the play, but yeah. explains it and is entertaining and kind of keeps it going. And sometimes it's a pairing, obviously. Like, yeah, let me ask you, Tom. I was trying to remember this when when I when he died because I I, I remember him fondly, and you know I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. He didn't. He was pretty down to earth, straightforward. He wasn't like these guys who were making crazy shit up to sound yeah. like they know more than everybody else does right you know it's like they're sitting there saying i gotta say something like oh that forget about the guy who scored that was all about the right back who made a run yeah. as right. a decoy and, and madden i think was always sort of straightforward and and genuine and and you know didn't bs a lot is that you know i, I think yeah. that's kind of what's missing in, in the soccer world and he came across as this blue collar guy and he was famous for the telestrator. He was the first to do the yeah. telestrator, but you know, it was always comical. It was very funny. And he was just this big yeah. love, lovable guy that everybody adored. And uh, I think every sport needs that kind of uh, consistency of having a team or an individual that can do it all. And it sounds like uh, soccer is still searching for that. But I, and also the, the difference now too, is that there's two, so many different platforms, right? So in those days it was more likely NFL was probably only on one channel back then. Yeah. So that's going to make it a little harder for someone to establish himself. And back to your fundraising thing. Is there any way we could do a GoFundMe to get something on Sam's wall? Because that bulletin board is naked and it's, it's very depressing to me. <laughs> no, he's, a, up there. he's a young kid fresh out of college a couple of years ago. So there's nothing. It's, there's uh, nothing. I don't know. It's like a hostage situation. Okay, that's, where, that's, that's where Kevin would have had his Farrah Fawcett poster. Exactly. Next to Ricky Davis. Exactly. So, hey, so let's let's move on to um, the world, the national team, because that's really, you know, what we love to focus on in this this uh, this show. But it, it's uh, I have been I talk a little bit about the progress that has been made, especially since the debacle back in the last World Cup qualifying. But I I it's so funny to kind of look at Facebook and Twitter stuff. People go at certain guys like people went at for some reason earlier this week at Jeff Vegas about like, can you believe he was even a national team player? I'm like, that guy was a warrior for the national team for a long time. Won a, won a national championship at University of Virginia. And it's sort of like it, it seems like some new some newbies lack perspective on what it takes to play at that level and how hard that man worked and how well he played for a long time. You know, I've been, I've been thinking about, I was interviewing someone recently who has an important position in the game and was telling me he wasn't sure how he was going to handle his social media presence. And 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 he needs to because that's what uh, is used as communication now. Um, but I got what he was talking about. There are all these assholes out there. Yeah. With no, with really no experience, no credibility, saying stuff that's vicious and um, and and if they're somehow vicious enough and maybe a little sliver of, I wouldn't even call it wit, they get a following and they have a presence and 
Yeah. It's a, it, I think the only thing to do is ignore those guys uh, as men and women that do that, because it, I think they get too much respect. You know, I, I was thinking about the criticism of people, like whether it's individual or whether it's MLS. And I'm like, well, why, why do I get the sense that there's all this division? And I'm going, well, maybe there's not, maybe it's just like a small, tiny minority on Twitter that is an overbearing influence. Uh, was a question? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's that's true. I think it's ignored. And I think the one person who's done well with it, he's embraced it, is Alexi, you know, because, uh, I mean, you, you're basically having he played at the highest level play. Yeah. And, you know, a, a great player for his day uh, and in college and the pros overseas. And yet people throw stuff at him just that yeah, he wasn't a player. And I look up these people who are criticizing him. It's like they're not even players never played themselves it's and i think it's in a way uh positive because people care right i guess you know mike remember the days when not many did but i think i have sat at mls games and heard the stupid shit that people yell out it's just clueless but i guess it's part of the process yeah no but i i also think there's the issue of twitter kind of being a a media right so If I, and you know, we're a traditional, we celebrate our 50th anniversary, we're a traditional media outlet. When I write something critical, uh, my boss, Paul Kennedy, reads it, we discuss it, uh, we, we make sure that I got my facts right, that it's, that it's a criticism that's worth making. I'm not saying sometimes we, I'm not saying we get everything right, but there's a, a process that goes into that. Um, that isn't if you're just somebody that manages to get a lot of Twitter followers and you can just say all kinds of crap. I mean, I guess I maybe I'm so upset about this because it's not the soccer part that's really that. <laughs> it's the fact that it's threatened our democracy. I know we're not going there. But, right, right, right. Um, but yeah. it, it also related. happens to soccer. But, you know, you're, you're talking about the national team. And I I think the best way to kind of to, 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 to measure the state of the national team or a team is you know, am I being entertained? Is it is it fun to watch? Does it look like the guys or the women are having fun when they play? Soccer is a tough sport, and and you can have a lot of games that aren't that good, um, just because of the nature of it. And um, you have good games, bad games, and you have great games. And when I look down the list of the U.S. men's national team games, they were kind of going back and forth. You know, they had a really good game and then not so good game. Uh, using young players, which is absolutely terrific. Uh, you know, I mean, we've never seen that, right? Very right. few countries have probably seen an infusion of young players into a national team the way the U.S. has done it this year and the last couple of years. And then you had the win over Mexico, the 2-0 win over Mexico in World Cup qualifying was like no other win the U.S. has ever had because the U.S. dominated that game. And they did it because they played fast, which sometimes I'm skeptical about. Um, but to play fast and for it to work and not to look like a mess, you have to have a high skill level. And that game kind of proved that we're getting there, you know, that that level of skill has really improved. Uh, so I think on the U.S. men's national team front, um, you know, it's looking positive. And on the women's front, those last two games when they finally weren't using the players that were far past their prime, it was a different team, and I enjoyed watching those games against Australia more than I had watched in the U.S. women's national team in a long time. Right, and I think you know that that's I think that's part of the the women's problem. I think it was that that I I don't really when there's a friendly, the U.S. men's national team had a friendly. It was like there was no juice in it for me. I was watching new players. I was watching it in a different way. Um, 
when there's something really on the line, you, you're definitely more engaged. And I think it's not a criticism of the women's national team. It's just that the competition, there's not as much competition. Or there's not as much competition, but there. it's absurd, absolutely absurd that any country would take a team to a world championship with players who you know are not the best players. And they're only there because they run the team. You right. know, that's basically what it came down to. And, and I think, and, you know, yeah. And, and, and I they think almost they won it. And, you know, they want, they got the bronze. So um, I think that was the coach's um, sense about it. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to cut the veterans and, you know, there were the best couple of couple of best teams weren't there uh, at like France and Germany. So they, they almost pulled it off, but um, you know, to bring it back to something positive, the new, the new era has finally started, you know, right. and that's what, if you're a sports fan, um, and that's what you always look for. Um, and it should be that way, whether it's a men's national team or the women's national team. Right. Uh, Mike, so, I want I want to go back to the men's team a little bit, because I think what we're kind of getting at indirectly is that as you wrote in Soccer America the other day, I mean, last year was a historically good year for the U.S. men's national team. And yet, even amongst those of us who like to think, you know, we follow it closely and know a lot about the game, there was plenty of grumbling to go along with it and plenty of uh, uh, you know, I don't know if controversy is the right word, but sort of second guessing and questioning of the team. Um, why, so why do you think there, that disconnect exists? I, I mean, I suppose that, um, that it is, you know, in other countries it happens too, right? No one's right. ever happy. You know, you, your team wins, you think you're the best in the world. Your team loses, you think you're the worst in the world. That, <laughs> you know, it, it, when it comes to fans, you know, fans can be idiots, right? You know, you go to a game and, the referee makes an, a call that's obviously the good call, but because it's against your team, you call them something, you call them a bad right. name. So it's a subjective thing. It's an emotional thing. Um, there's always, always room for criticism, you know, in any team that's because it's hard to be perfect. Um, but I, again, I, you know, I, I, I think it's probably, I think one of the issues is it, it there's this segment of, of, of critical fans who will, you forget what happened in the three games before. If that last game wasn't good, um, right. you know, everybody sucks. Yeah. yeah. Or even, you know, I mean, it goes right to the coach. I mean, the, the criticism of Burhalter was, is absurdly over the top. I mean, even, you know, with his successful uh, run that he's had, it's uh, it's been pretty amazing. And then, you know, you look at players like uh, when, they're aging out like a Roldan or a Legette, the, the criticism of them. I mean, like, it's just so harsh. I remember even when Landon Donovan retired, they're like, oh, about time. I'm like, what? Landon, yeah. you know, it's it's credible. It's crazy. But look, I guess it is part of uh, just the, the, the nature of the game growing. So, but like, again, with the national team, um, a lot of young players there, a lot of guys playing overseas now. I mean, what I find kind of fun and interesting is, uh, Mike, and I don't know if you share this, but like a lot of these young guys, I, I I have to track them down and do my due diligence to figure out who they are, how they've developed as players, where they're going. You're kind of like, there's national team kids now. I'm kind of like, wow, who's this? What? You know, and you got to find it. We we didn't have that, uh, especially like during the Harks years and, and Tab. But, you know, those guys are in it for a good solid, you know, three runs. Three World Cup yeah, runs. You know, in the days before MLS, when we would talk about player development, the common answer would be, you know, we need pro teams involved in youth development and, and for an important reason is a pro team doesn't care, you know, how rich or poor you are or, or what color you are or what ethnicity you are. They, they just want to find the best players. And right. um, 
And also theoretically, if in, in a pro environment, you would also expose younger players to older players and experienced players and experienced coaches. And that's what's happened, you know, after uh, 26 years of MLS. Um, and I think U.S. soccer deserves a lot of credit for being involved in the, 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 the sea change in combination with MLS and youth soccer and the amateur clubs deserve a lot, a lot of credit because MLS clubs wouldn't have been able to pull off their academies if they didn't have the competition or the sources uh, for players as, as the, from the from the from the amateur youth teams. So, um, you know, it's it's a remarkable uh, amount of progress that we've seen. I mean, you know, Bo Dora, Dory, who writes for us. Um, does a columns for Soccer America did one recently and about how the generations when we debate soccer in the United States each generation comes with a, a unique view and, and the younger generation comes from comes at it from uh, one that doesn't uh, look back and see where we came from right which is understandable right. I get that and, and, yeah. and you know um, but I you know I, I and he points out that you know whether it's our generation trying to see it their way or them trying to see it our way, it's, it's kind of good to kind of have a combination of that and a, and a reasonable view of, of where we're going. But it's easier for us who've been around longer, you know, to, to be, to, to really um, appreciate the progress. Yeah. And put it more in perspective. You know, there, uh, I heard a story once about uh, Lauren Michaels at Saturday night live. He said, tell me who your favorite Saturday night live players were. And I'll tell you how old you are. Because everybody has, you know, we, we, like I'm old enough to say Belushi and Aykroyd, you know, way back then. So uh, and then, you know, we have the newer generation. So I guess it's a little bit of that. And you don't want to be an old man going, do you realize before 1994? No one really, you know. So, um, you know, so I guess, you know, looking at uh, MLS Cup from uh, my perspective is like, wow, it was a, a great success. What did you think about the last uh, cup? It was. Uh, uh, I think the game was a little disappointing. Yeah, that, um, I think, yeah, the game was, but I, I thought, uh, I thought, you know, all the people in buildings and all around, I was like, wow, it's uh, kind of a cool. It was deal. great that New York won a championship. Um, yep. Good to see the mayor out there. Tapasio, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, every time I go to New York, I live. It's like every page of every paper. Right. Oh. The <laughs> They're all ripping on the mayor. Even a, a drunk Andy Cohen, I think, has got on him on CNN. He uh, did on New Year's Eve. Yeah, it was. He abused him in like after a couple of shots of liquor. That's a, that's what happened. Yeah. It's like uh, so uh, I don't know. You know, I remember interviewing him uh, when they opened up a, a uh, one of those little small um, sort of futsal um, courts in in Harlem, and he was there. <laughs> and I interviewed him. I could tell he knew nothing about soccer. He knew nothing about the process. And then as he left, one of the guy goes, one guy goes, I've never fucking seen that guy. That guy hasn't been part of any of this shit. What, what the hell is he doing here? I'm like, that's a politician, man. They, they just jump in when there's some credit to be taken. I find it hysterical that people are suddenly th saying what a bad Mary is. You elected a Red Sox fan as the mayor of New York City, and you expected it not to go wrong. It was a train wreck from the get-go. He's the worst. It was a dumpster fire, and he is the worst. All the Democrats hate him as much as anybody else. How did he win? And he's coming from Red Sox fans here, uh, you and I, Tom, So and, and, uh, and Sam. So uh, I don't know how you could ever get elected in New York City as a Red Sox fan. I mean, in, in Boston, it just wouldn't happen. I'm sorry. Didn't they elect a, I thought they just elected a mayor who, uh, who lives in New Jersey. Yeah. Who's the, oh, the, uh, oh, the, yeah, they had to film him. They had to film him at his son's apartment 
to in New York so he could prove that he lived in New York City. But anyway, New York, New Jersey. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Same thing. Uh, the the Giants. So um, Mike, do you have a Greyhound? Yes, I do. I, I know we're not on camera here, but we are while we're recording this. And my yeah, you just made a cameo. Oh, very cool. Uh, Male female. Like, what are you like? One of those Russian czars with those uh, greyhounds behind you, man? Looking my good. third greyhound. We rescued greyhounds from the racetrack. Oh, someone's hey. going to heaven. Good for you. You know, hey, the, so- uh, he, he kind of looks like the, doesn't the Ted Lasso Richmond team have a greyhound looking mascot? Yeah, yeah. It's actually, yeah. Yeah, it does. It does, I think. Or then it, uh, yeah, 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 I forget what the mascot is. some was. kind of white dog. Um, but I cut you off about the, the cup. So the cup has grown, right? And it's it, it's getting better. They seem to be trimming it and figuring out how to present it. I mean, I think the fact that it's, uh, you know, a, a home fielded advantage for one team is pretty good because that whole neutral site thing wasn't working because nobody was going to the games. Uh, so, so that's a positive. So, well, yeah, I kind of um, depended on, on who was hosting, but um, the big news, you know, the big thing about the playoffs this time is that every single game was a one-off, right? And then you had yeah. the odd situation of a New England uh, getting buys, but then going 21 games without having the game. And, you know, it's uh, it's tough when you have um, uh, so many games and then just one game and you're out. But, you know, that's part of the excitement. It's, and there's not a whole lot of ways around that setup. You know? Well, the supporter shield thing just doesn't resonate with Americans as much as it does with, you know, Premier League followers, I guess. So, uh, well, Mexico just- does something that I've always advocated, which is um, up until the final in the playoffs, but they do do two legs. They don't use away goals on the tiebreaker. They use uh, the regular season standings. Oh, I like that. So if it's 3-3 three, three on aggregate, uh, if you'd have the better standings and you go through, uh, I, I would like to see that, although I think that's uh, not possible if you only have a one-game thing, right? Because a team right. would go in knowing a tie would take them through. That'd be kind of an odd scenario. I like what that, actually. I like that because it, it, you know, it sort of undermines the way they play if you're looking for goals like- you know, against yeah, because you know it's one of those things like uh, you know you look at the European leagues and you say okay they, they pick a champion based on everybody playing every twice. Uh, what a great fair system and you know and pro what are the pro rel and all that. Um, you can you can talk about how great it is, um, but it's never going to happen here. It, it, that ship that has sailed. You know, if the other countries were starting over, they'd probably do it our way. Uh, right. just because of the nature of how sports and entertainment is. So, um, you know, it's tough. I don't like seeing uh, the supporter seal, the two best teams in the regular season go out in the playoffs, but so good. You know, it is. Yeah. that's how it is. Yeah. So we've completely lost Cotter, by the way. He's just glazed over. He has no idea what's going on. <laughs> I am too Hey, when Le- you guys kept talking about Alexi, I knew you were talking about Lawless. Okay. Yes. I for that. There you go. All right. You're going to Gigante Rojo. So, uh, um, Sam, we were going to talk about the college cup a little bit. I was, I was at it, Mike, this year, and I got to tell you, man, uh, Cary, North Carolina, what a great facility they have there. But there was uh, Georgetown, Washington, Clemson, and Notre Dame were there. And on the first night, when all the fans were there and it was packed, oh my god, it reminded me of a European stadium and the enthusiasm and the fun. And I thought, and the soccer was really good. Different styles of play. Uh, guys were knocking around, sometimes going a little uh, up up I-95. But for the most part, man, it was a, an amazing atmosphere. And Sam and I, and, and Grail, when he was on the show, we talked about this all the time, how we just feel like college soccer is a lost opportunity for the game in this country. What, what are your thoughts on on the game in college and, and the College Cup itself? Yeah, I... I, I would agree with all the positive things you said about that. Um, yeah. The game's gotten a lot better. Um, I mean, 
it's been good for a long time, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you think back to the arena teams of the 90s, that was good soccer. Um, you know, college soccer is unique in the world. College sports is unique. No other country has a college sports situation like we do. Um, I think that I would bring up also not just college, but high school and elementary school and middle school. Uh, school soccer, I think, ha- holds the key to the main issues in developing the game, which is developing a culture and providing access uh, that clubs don't provide to those who can't afford it or logistically can't uh, reach it. Um, I don't know how you make a national movement of that. You've got uh, those kind of partnerships around, but if I had a magic wand, I would really support the school soccer in the United States from, you know, from kindergarten and then, you know, college, college provides a lot of opportunities. It's a little bit of a, you know, it's, it's not going to be a feeder for the pros. I think that's not right. Realistic. You're going to have a few players every once in a while. Um, but it is a very big, important part of soccer. You know? Right. Sam. Yeah, Mike. So I, over the holidays, I'm a big fan of watching the world junior hockey championship um, to throw a little curveball here, which is U 20 competition. And uh, it's just a fantastic tournament. And I'm wondering why, speaking of college game, youth game, et cetera, there isn't sort of an equivalent showcase U20, U21 um, soccer tournament. And maybe I, maybe I have that wrong, but is it just that um, it gets lost in all the millions of leagues and games or... Um, you said hockey and then you said curveball, but <laughs> yeah, Dang. Well, that's just throwing Cotter off even more. He has no idea. What he's, he's, he's actually, his head blows. Just well, you've blows. got the world. Yeah. No, you've got the, are you talking about a, are you talking about a national team? Cause you've got the U20 Nas- national teams. Yeah. But does that get the same kind of attention that, you know, this other tournament does or. In the soccer world, definitely. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, they can't, the last two were canceled because of COVID. Uh, the U-17 tournament uh, and the U-20 World Cup have been a big, big deal for American soccer. The, you know, the team in 89 with Casey Keller and um, Chris Henderson, um, they finished fourth. That was a big deal. The, the U-17s, that's, so yeah, I, it, the, the Youth World Cups, I think, do get pretty much attention. They're on TV now. It's certainly within the soccer world. I could see why they wouldn't, you know, inch their way into the into the mainstream. Um, but they and I really enjoy them. I especially enjoy, you know, the younger age, the younger you go. I think the, you know, the more interesting it can be. And and you've got a lot of players who, um, you know, who, who do actually. Uh, appear in those youth tournaments and then end up on the national teams, you know, something that I don't, I don't think you would see in um, say a little league world series. You know, I haven't checked right. it. I haven't checked it recently, but when I checked it uh, years ago, you, you never heard of one of those players again. Right. It was sort of a weird thing um, where, you know, how far do you go with, with youth championships, um, uh, you know, national championships and stuff like that. But a lot of players have made the jump in this last group, though. De La Fuente and I think it's really Tyler important. And, it's been super yeah. important for that's how the American players get scouted. I mean, yeah. anytime our U17s, even our U15s play, now obviously it's been on hold because of the pandemic. Yeah, scouts from all over the world there. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit about the player moves that have happened. Uh, over the last couple of days, really, uh, Ricardo Pepe, who, uh, you know, we're talking about the Twitter and all that stuff. The pressure they put on this kid was unbelievable. He was the, the second coming of Christ, apparently, for a while there. It's like, God, give, he's good. I like it. He's moving up. He's developing well. But I, I don't think, I think again, perspective is is lacked. So um, 
here he's going to the Bundesliga. He's going to get some some seasoning. What are your thoughts on on him and his move? Yeah, I mean, he's a great story. You know, um, yeah. he's a kid that we would never have heard about before. You know, MLS created a pathway for players like that. Um, but by 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 that I mean, you know, a, a young Latino kid with um, you know not living near a pro team. Um, you know, so that that's a really great sign. One thing that I've been thinking about a little bit is. Uh, you know, do these players come back to MLS? You know, our, yeah. our, it seems like everybody's always celebrating when one of these guys goes abroad, you know, it's like a couple of weeks after they play a couple of years in, in, in MLS, um, which I think is a good thing. Uh, what I'm hoping is that, uh, you know, we'll get to a point where we see really talented Americans playing in MLS, and maybe that means they play in Europe for a while and come back. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, it's 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 great news, um, but it's kind of interesting. Are we going to get to a point where MLS, uh, you know, keeps its players uh, longer? Because I think that right. helps fandom. I think like, we've talked about this before, Mike, uh, on the show, where uh, MLS has strengthened our our rivals within the region as well. You know, because oh, Panama, yeah. Honduras, you know, they're all coming here, and and our guys are going overseas. So I, I guess it's just it's just. Well, uh, look at Canada, right? Remember how bad oh. Canada was? Canada was like, you know. England without skill, they uh, right. and, and now they're a terrific team, and that was thanks because of the. Um, I think two things mainly. One was the MLS teams having academies up there, and then the changing, um, the lessening of the uh, of the British influence and the welcoming of uh, you know the diverse the diversity that they that they have in Canada from soccer uh, immigrant community. Yeah, you know, it remind me of the Laza League in Boston. You know, that I used to play in, and I spent some summers in in Toronto. Uh, when I was hosting a show up there, but it was uh, they took great pride in this sort of uh, melting pot element of immigrants. But the soccer community there was very segmented and it was, um, you know, you had great Italian leagues and great play. But as far as a national thing, they're like, well, it's not hockey, so it's not happening. But I mean, Alfonso great- Davies is an incredible oh, player. You know, God, is what a story. You know, he's a, a, a refugee kid who, you know, gets a chance in Canada. And now, I mean, fantastic player to watch and he learned his soccer you know without adults around in a refugee camp yeah but you know like there were great players coming out of there earlier i remember playing in college the guy who had just graduated well he left as a sophomore he was a two-time all-american freshman sophomore year tasso gazukas was greek from canada from toronto um and he would tell me about the great play that was up there that you know they were all kind of they were making money as kids playing for the clubs as we all kind of did but uh it seemed to have lost it for a while and now boy it's back and be careful what you wish for because now we got to sweat canada you know uh we kind of get by mexico and now we're worried about canada but uh rivalries are good so um all right we got to wrap there in, in a little bit but mike uh any thoughts about the year ahead uh, what you see any predictions or uh or what's what's next for soccer america well yeah the next thing is the you know the next phase of uh u.s qualifiers and hopefully they'll settle that early so they won't have to depend on bringing players back from europe and uh and then we've got the curious situation of the world cup in um in the winter um yeah that's odd which, huh it is odd and that's what it is and and you know i'm sure uh it it, i thought about it today that um in a way that i hadn't before which is we won't have a world cup in the summer (laughs) so i guess we'll have a little more time in the summer (laughs) that was sam's next question yeah that was sam's well yeah my point is that you know with all the disruptions that we've gone through with covid these last couple years it feels like a world cup in the winter doesn't even seem weird anymore i mean we've seen everything taking place at any time basically so yeah, I have to think the organizers and FIFA are kind of 
you know, thanking the uh, the coronavirus a little bit for that. For the bad yeah, mistake. It, um, it, 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 it'll be, the, the, the qualifiers are going to be interesting. Um, I think that um, the launch of MLS Next Pro, which is a uh, lower division league that, that MLS launched, that's going to field MLS teams and also uh, bring in other teams that aren't in other pro leagues. Uh, well, they've got one right now. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, it's going to be the third season of um MLS Next running a youth league, which I think has been progressing pretty, pretty positively. So, uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll, hopefully people will start getting vaccinated so we can move on to a normal world. Yeah, I know. As much as we try to avoid politics, it just always seems to come up in different aspects. So, uh, all right. Well, Mike, man, uh, you guys do a great job over at Soccer America, not just with the TV listings, but just keeping us up to date on everything that's happening in the world of soccer. I know uh, Tom Cotter is uh, reads it religiously every morning uh, as he's checking in on what those 26 dogs that kicked his ass are doing now. So, uh, hey, Mike, thanks so much for joining us on Over the Ball. Uh, we'll talk to you again, my friend. It's been my pleasure. Great to, great to talk with you guys. All right. Always great to talk to Mike Wojtala. He uh, knows uh, a lot. Boy, like just all the subscription services, Sam, that you and I have talked about. Some we have, some we don't have. They got to go to all of them just to figure out what game's what so they can report on them. So, uh, G- Cotter, how bad did you glaze over when we started talking about all these I, uh, various leagues fascinated. and stuff? I thought it was yeah. pretty cool. I think that he's got his finger on the pulse, obviously. He kept talking about how they, some of the young players are going abroad, and sometimes that works for them, and sometimes it doesn't. It, mm-hmm. it seems to have worked for Bruce Jenner. Um, and then uh, <laughs> going abroad? Is that yeah, the joke? <laughs> he went abroad. It seemed to work out pretty well. Is that your first dick joke here on Over the Ball? That's the first one I went with. Uh, and then oh. also, he was talking about how. Uh, some of the older guys are stepping down and, and people are saying, finally, we got rid of uh, the older guys. And right. there's this infusion of youth. And I love that. I mean, I love the NFL draft. I love uh, when the Yankees or the Red Sox pull up guys from their farm team rather than getting these free agents. I just love that they're they're kind of uh, grooming the youth to take over. I think that's kind of cool. And it sounds like that's what is happening with uh, the USA team. So that's well, he was actually talking at, in that point it was talking about the women's national team which is they've had growing pains themselves because they've had the same players there for a long long time uh familiarity breeds contempt uh they got rid of two possibly three coaches um the women with sort of like their little insurrection here that uh, we're talking about it on january 6th so uh it's interesting but you know one thing about the u.s men's national team that i think that you don't quite that most American sports fans don't quite understand is imagine rooting for your NFL team, like probably the the Patriots that you would root for. Right. Um, And then those players in the entire NFL from the entire NFL, they pick uh, 22 guys to represent the country in the NFL world football games. You would be like, wow, suddenly you're rooting for a quarterback you wouldn't normally root for or players. It, It kind of confuses people. Uh, uh, with the national team stuff. So, uh, Sam, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, the way the way people look at a national team, it's almost like um, it's like you get that feeling with the Olympics. But I don't think American sports fans really understand what a national team is. It's an all star team. Yeah, basically. I mean, I'm I'm curious, Tom, just to get your take. We were talking a lot about the sort of general perception of the U.S. national team and where it stands. I guess more from an insider perspective, but. But what do you, what do you think? Do you get any kind of flavor of like how we're doing? If you had to to gauge it, well, he said that you guys beat Mexico two to two to nothing, and he said that that was a gigantic win for you guys. And I'm like, really, Mexico? Oh, yeah. 
but uh, <laughs> he said that was a historic win. So I was, I was very impressed. And now Kevin, you said later that now we have to worry about Canada. You know, these are two, uh, you wouldn't think that we would, I don't want to be cocky, but you would think the United States would be able to beat Canada and everything but hockey. And you'd be able to beat Mexico and everything but drug dealing. You know, I, I didn't know that they were that good at soccer. And now we have pressure from not just obviously Europe and all over the world, but now in North America coming from the attic and the basement. And that's kind of, that's kind of weird. Um, and not to shit on Mexico, but we do get our drugs from them and then we give them our guns. So it's, a, it's, yeah. a, and then we all wonder why there's problems. It's like, it's ridiculous, but it reminds me, remind me of something my father said years ago, because my father's, you know, started to follow the game because I was playing it. And then we lost to Costa Rica which the 11 best athletes in Costa Rica are on that field that day, right? <laughs> they really are. I mean, it's yep. the sport that they play. My dad was like, we lost to Costa Rica. How could we lose to them in anything? I'm like, well, dad, the 11 best athletes are there. We got 350 million people, but we play a lot of things. And, um, you know, it, it's all over. And the fact, you know, Sam, I think he answered your question by saying, he just heard about this Mexico win just now. <laughs> as, yeah. as, uh, what was talking about. But he's seen Ted Lasso. But he's seen right. Ted Lasso, exactly, which probably pisses yeah. you off a little bit, Sam, because people that think doesn't piss not- me off. But I, I, a lot of people reach out to me who don't really know anything about soccer to talk about Ted Lasso, and they're you know deeply disappointed that I don't like it. But you know, well, but doesn't that is- make, doesn't that increase interest in the sport, and you right. want the sport to grow? And he was also talking, Mike was earlier. Um, I, I, I this was something I was going to say is I know just from my sons and their peer group so many of their friends stopped playing football because their parents said they were worried about concussions. And the only other major fall sport is soccer. So the, you know, the tryouts for the soccer team have increased, whereas the tryouts for the football team have decreased. And it's all about concussion protocols and, you know, uh, post-concussion syndrome and all that stuff. And oh. I know you can get concussions playing soccer, but not quite mm. as much. Um, and so I think parents are pushing their kids more towards that. And that has to bode well for the growth yeah. of soccer. And well, Ted Lasso. Yeah. And Ted Lasso, obviously. But these, again, I think, look, Sam, I think with Ted Lasso, I think with, you know, football people, uh, uh, you know, sort of educated people are not letting their sons or, uh, you know, play play football. Uh, and then also these, these you know, playing um, Xbox games. I mean, my nephew never played soccer, but he knows every player. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how do you know? And he's like, oh, uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, on my team and he's got it, you know, so they're, they're learning soccer through uh, Xbox and through, through uh, Ted Lasso. And then this brings us full circle because I think when a little bit of knowledge, you know, when you talk um, in martial arts, red belt means you have a little bit of knowledge and that's the most dangerous person on the floor because it's got a little bit of knowledge and somebody's going to get hurt. And that seems to be what happens with the Twitter and, and everything else, all the stupid shit that's put out there. It's like, it's newbies and no perspective but uh they're interested in the game and their opinions i guess count so um so it's a it's a good thing at the end of the day no yeah i'll take it i mean any interest is good and uh let's yeah let's keep it going sounded like mike wasn't a a junior hockey fan either though it's uh yeah he kind of shut me down on that i mean i i I guess i don't argue against the importance of those youth tournaments like the u20 the u18 i know they're they're heavily scouted and there's a lot of good players there i just don't think i mean like the the final of the world junior is played in the maple leafs arena you know when it's held in toronto in canada with like twenty thousand people there Right, right i mean it is a huge deal i don't think there's anything like that for you know u21 and below or for the soccer world 
Well, you know, a lot of those guys are going pros. And, but I also think that the under 20s, if it's in the right country, will get a big following. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a big deal in those countries, France, Spain, Portugal, but, you know, in the United States, it's not. And then I always harken back to the NCAA Final Four, basketball Final Four. It was not a big deal to the late 70s when they turned it into one. It used to be the NITs and, and other things. So the landscape in this country changes sports-wise. So, um, so. All right. It's all good, man. So great way to start off the new year. Uh, Tom, thanks for uh, for joining us and, and sitting in for Grail. You're going to be uh, back next week. So we'll uh, you got a lot to cram in the next week, Tom. Uh, I do. To get I, to your uh, soccer stuff. The show is called Over the Ball. If it was Under the Ball, would it be called Taint? I'm just I don't know. Uh, yeah, in fact, it has. I think I've, I've actually used that joke. Uh, <laughs> under, I think I called it Under the Taint. Under the Taint, uh, under the taint oh. or Over the Ball. Those are the two choices. And I came yeah. with Over the Ball. So um, either way, it's unpleasant. All right, thanks for joining us today. And uh, for Sam Griswold, uh, I'm Kevin Flynn. I'd like to thank our guest today, executive editor of Soccer America, Mr. Mike Wojtola. Mike, thanks for everything you do for us in the world of soccer. Uh, we'll talk to you next time, everybody, on OTB.